Alexa, who is Adam Ferrara? Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Virelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. He has had three Comedy Central specials and his new album is called It's Scary In Here. Adam's new podcast is a big hit and available everywhere. Sounds like it could be funny. Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back. I am so glad you're here because you need to know that the morals that they worship will be gone. What? And the man who spurred us on, sit in judgment of our wrong, they decide, and the shotgun sings us all. <laughs> that's from The Who. Won't get fooled again. And that's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite albums, and we have a great show for you this week because my guest in the ADD interview is legendary rock and roll producer, member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's Glenn Johns. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family. That's our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link, and join us. And our super fan shout-out is for Matthew. Say hi to Matthew, everybody. Hey, Matthew. Matthew, what's up, man? And Matthew, if Phil was here, he would say he never liked you. Stop it! Why are you going to say that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> That wasn't for you. That was for my own amusement. So he does that, Matthew. Yeah, Phil. Phil is adrift, uh, and he's also on a boat. So <laughs> dun, dun. yeah, we had to record this because I'm going on the road. Uh, but he will be back as soon as he can. And uh, oh, I am so excited. I know, Adam. I'm so excited. Cars or yes. music, there's no controlling you. Yeah, yeah, and you're telling everybody about the fact that you're talking <laughs> to Glenn Johns, aren't you? Yeah, I told I. Told, I I texted Richard Marks because he would get it because I, uh, uh, I emailed Paul Reiser. <laughs> I emailed Dana Gould. I told, I told Stevie Van Zandt in an, in, in an interview I just did with him. He was like, oh, really? He was like, yeah, that's so cool. I said, yeah, of course it's cool. Tell Mark Stern and my wife. They don't get it. <laughs> that's not true. I'm excited for this as well. But I know since the moment this thing popped up on on in your world yeah like you've been a kid running around waiting for christmas to arrive yeah like you're just like you could not be your excitement could not be contained this is awesome the guy worked with the who the stones the beatles i mean just eric clapton i mean he was there he was there at the beginning of this he was be there with four tracks and i have an idea it was great uh so that was important don't you get excited about stuff in your childhood what would excite you well you know you know how much I get geeked up about ancient history. So like if there's any conversation about ancient Egypt or if I were to go to one of those places, yeah. something like that, you know, I'll be like, so I was reading about the Peloponnesian War today. And you know how geeked up I get about that stuff. Like I Roman do. History. And this is why you live alone with two cats. I mean, just. <laughs> That's one of the many reasons. Yes. There is a time and place. Yeah. You know, if I'm having to be at the coffee shop and two pharaohs are chatting. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how often that happens. Okay. So, so yeah. And I know because. When you get that way with something you're so fired up about, yeah, you like you can't you can't help yourself. You're like, oh my god, I just learned the coolest thing today. Let me share it with you. And good friends will nod and smile. Less than good friends will their eyes will glaze over and they'll walk away. Yeah, you know, it's just what you deal with. Yeah, honey, what's going to get you all uh, from your childhood? What is something that would that would just flip you out as an adult? Um, well, I, I don't know. I think I'm easier than you guys because beautiful things, mm -hmm. animals, right, and spa day. Oh, Spa Day? Yeah. I thought you said Sade. I was no. like, when, do you, when were you a Sade fan? <laughs> a Spa Day. You know what I like? When I got my first facial, <laughs> I need someone else to pop my zits. It does something to me. I don't have zits, Adam. Thank All you very right. much. I understand. I think I'm poreless. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Alabaster skin ever since you were a baby. <laughs> but I, I didn't have those kinds of thoughts about no mm -mm. nothing really captured your imagination like no that. i mean i had thoughts of going somewhere and i did yeah yeah you went all around the world yeah all right well yeah now the glenn the music of that and 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 me when i started playing the guitar I, and i think it was because i had a guitar teacher that because i fell in the middle i missed this whole thing i missed the whole second generation of rock and roll into the arena rock my my formative years was disco 
Yeah. Oh, you mean John Travolta disco? Yeah. yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, lo- I love you anyway. It's you know. You don't like disco? It's staying just alive? that four on the floor that boom, 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 uh, boom, boom. Uh, uh, no. Uh, it's a guilty pleasure. It's a guilty pleasure. It's, the, it's that like, mechanical drum beat that gets soulless. I'll tell you what, funk I like because it's on the one. Are you kidding? You know, what? if you heard Bee Gees and it's all acapella. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I'd turn it down. Um, <laughs> it makes me want to shake my hips. All right, now I'm going to play it. You see? <laughs> Have a spa day, listen to some Bee Gees. That's man. it. Hey, That's what I'm hey, going to do. All about it. I'm going go, to give my wife the Bee Gees Staying Alive spa day. You see? <laughs> but I know what you're saying, Adam, because I'm I'm the same age, and, and it was like, sort of like this dead period. In, in, I don't want to say dead period, but it was like, from all the power rock that we had and, and everything that came out of the 60s and the early 70s, then there was this kind of like period of, as you said, disco and other well, stuff. Well, here's what it is. It was disco, which was, eh, didn't really speak to me. Then there was punk, and I knew three chords, but I wasn't that angry. <laughs> I mean, The Cure. I like, yeah, The Cure, well, with the makeup. Boingo, boingo. Yeah, yeah, all right. Dead Man's Party I like, but The Cure is like, it looked more like the disease, you know, with the eye makeup. <laughs> I just didn't. Oh, my goodness. See, I got into ska. That was that was my big thing when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, I, I, you, you wear the ska outfits with the thin ties, you know, and the pork pie hats and stuff like that. And I, I don't know why the music of like the English Bowery sort of like spoke to me, but I, I got into that. That mm-hmm. was my thing. I got into. Uh, well, see, see, that's why I, I went backwards, because that music was just fascinating to me. And I had my guitar teacher at the time just curating all the listen to this band, listen to this band, and that opened, mm-hmm. that started the momentum, and then I went back in. And so it was almost like history for me because it, it had already happened, and I got to experience it through somebody's eyes, and I got to connect to that excitement. I, I love those moments. Someone introduced you to something from the past, and you're like, whoa, yeah, I've never heard this. Yeah. Whoa, this is fantastic. I remember when I first heard Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. I was like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's basically timeless because if it hits your soul or your heart, it's, you know, yeah, it's a classic. I had the same experience, but I was really high. Yes, Darren. <laughs> I was going to say, I had the exact same experience when somebody introduced me to the Little River Band. Like, it just changed my life. <laughs> the Little <laughs> River Band. What what song is that? Little River Band. Which, oh, you know, honey, that, that, that timeless classic. Have you heard about the Lonesome Loser? Loser. <laughs> Followed by the Queen of Hearts, all oh, just some kind of bullshit. I, I, I kind of blacked out right after that. I, I would say, who's the Queen Queen of uh, Queen of Hearts is in yeah. there? I don't know how it's in there. Who's I don't that? know. They took it from a Juice Newton song. Who the hell knows? I got. They're talking in riddles. I just LRB baby. What? LRB baby for life. Come yeah, on. LRB. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. You know what I want to hear? Mm. With our children at our feet. <laughs> and the morals that they worship will be gone. That's what I want to hear. I want to smash my freaking guitar. That is a bit of a downer. That what? What you just said. The, the morals will be gone. Bee Gees are nice. Ah, 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 ah. Staying alive. Staying alive. Uh, You're uh, like, oh, de- death and destruction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. I, look, we all have our own taste. I just, hold on one second. I've got to make a review why I married this woman. <laughs> and you know you're cutting I, this. I believe it was the al- <laughs> the alabaster skin that lured me in. And when she wore the red thing, I was a dead duck. All okay. right, fine. Okay, bye. <laughs> but yeah, I went backwards with the music and then comedy was the muse. Comedy was, here's what we did is we tried to stay up late for Saturday Night Live and then Monday morning you come into class and try to do the sketches with each other. So the muse switched to comedy. Even Rolling Stone started putting uh, comedians on the cover. I remember the um, uh, Eddie Murphy oh, yeah. one and the, and the David Letterman one. And yeah. so, yeah, so comedy was, uh, those, those are the two things. Cars, cars were always good. And then, you know, Smoking the Bandit movie came out and there was that, that 77 Trans Am, which was really a 76 with a 77 nose on it. Oh, don't get me started to geek out on that. <laughs> but I just, I remember those were the things I held dear. That and, and, and messing with Phil. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I, he called well, me this week. He's not here today, but he called me this weekend. And, uh, and, and this actually made me happy. 
Can I just ask, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I ask you a simple question. Can you just answer a question? Did you take Green Bay in the points? What do you send me back? A picture of a hammer toe. That's what I get. What, what, what is that? And first of all, I, I can't even see the image right away because I have to s- sign back on and pay for my minutes to be able to download the image. So all I see is that you sent me something. What's this now? And, and I, I got to know what it is. I got to know what it is. So I sign on. I pay for the minutes. And I open it up. Oh, it's a hammer toe. I'm so glad I signed on and spent my minutes. Well, well worth the money. Fuck, dude. You are eight and a half years old. Did you take Green I still don't have an answer. Did you take Green Bay of the points? <laughs> see, I know he's going to obsess. I know he has to see what I send him. And I know he gets freaked out. So I sent him this picture of a hammer toe. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. Mission accomplished. That kind of crap makes me happy. I, I have nothing to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> The voice of, from Wisdom Up on High. All right. <laughs> like you're a child. Yeah. Yes, I'm a child. And I was a child, again, talking to Glenn. I tried to contain myself. I mm-hmm. really did. <laughs> He's such a gentleman. And, I, and I'm jumping around. Like, you know what it was? It was like he was that big bulldog. And I was the little dog jumping over his head. Like, me and you are pals, aren't we, Spike? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to tell me about Spike. the Beatles, aren't you, Spike? <laughs> tell me about Keith Moon and John Bonham. <laughs> How was Led Zeppelin, Spike? Oh, Glenn. Yeah. Oh, man. So, honey, I get, I get, I get a little geeky. So, just, you need to know Keith Moon was the drummer in the Who. John, uh, John Entwistle was the bass player in the Who. Mm-hmm. I asked him about that, and then mm-hmm. I asked him about a bunch of other people. Okay. So I really had a good time, and he was such a gentleman. So, you guys listen to this, and we will see you on the other side. Teen years are marked by lots of physical changes in the body and brain and sex hormones along with the growing independence, but also a real need to belong to something. This often angsty time is when teens re-examine their identities, figuring out how to both blend in and how to stand out, often by trying on different roles. Maybe they're experimenting with punk rock or hockey or theater or ancient philosophy. So I was reading about the Peloponnesian War today. And this is why you live alone with two cats. I mean, just... (laughs) (laughs) you are listening to the adam ferrara podcast this is 30 minutes you will never get back do you know what i could do with the time that i am pissing away right now i really want to see you and i really want to make you laugh but you got to meet me halfway so tonight, December 2nd through Saturday, December 4th, I will be at Magooby's Joke House in Timonium, Maryland. Timonium, I know. Sounds like a radioactive metal, but it's not. December 16th, I will be at the Parks Casino in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. December 17th and 18th, I will be at Levity Live in Nyack, New York. And January 26th through January 30th, I will be at CB Live in Phoenix, Arizona. There's a link for tickets right here in the show notes, or you can go to my website and click the link there. There's also a link in the show notes for my special, It's Scary in Here. It's on YouTube. It's free. You come see me, I'm doing different stuff. All right, that's enough of my yakking. We have a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame coming up. Let's listen to Glenn Johns. Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy. ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say. Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week is a legendary recording engineer, producer, and member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. His work and vision has helped shape history as well as the soundtrack to people's lives. His book, Sound Man, makes you feel like you are standing right next to him as he captures the essence and spirit of some of the most essential recordings of all time. Just some of the artists he has worked with include Led Zeppelin, The Who, The Rolling Stones, Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, The Eagles, The Band, The Clash, Small Faces, Humble Pie, The Steve Miller Band, The Kinks, Neil Young, and The Beatles called him. He's known as Glyn T in Spain. He's had a shotgun pointed at his head, and when Jimi Hendrix didn't listen to him, he went home. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Glyn Johns. How are you, my friend? I'm very well indeed. Thank you. This is a big treat for me, uh, and I just want to tell the audience uh, uh, that you're a very gracious man as well as accomplished, because the first time I met you, I believe uh, my first words to you were, holy shit, it's you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't recall. Yeah. I do remember you. I, do, I thought you were going to explode. <laughs> yeah, we were doing a game show, and um, my, uh, my uh, category of expertise, where I thought I knew a lot about, was the Who's album, Who's Next, which you, of course, produced. And uh, I did not know that you were the celebrity judge at the end. And uh, when I saw you up, I flipped out. So, and you, and you were very gracious to me. <laughs> but I wanted to start with that album because it meant so much to me, Clint. Well, it meant a lot to me, actually. I, it was pretty remarkable mm -hmm. piece of work by Pete Townsend and, of course, the band. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, not Pete wrote everything on it. So, with the exception of the token John Entwistle track. Um, yeah, it was pretty extraordinary. I, was, I felt unbelievably fortunate to have uh, been there. Really. Yeah. Well, you, uh, Pete uh, wrote this as part of a... Uh, uh, a, a story called Lifehouse, which was uh, another rock opera to follow Tommy. Um, yes. And um, I believe you were at the meeting and the first one to say that I don't understand it, Pete, but the songs are extraordinary. Worse than that effect. I mean, I blame myself for not understanding it. I wasn't criticizing the way he'd written it, mm -hmm. but um, the band and the Bill Kirby, their manager, and I had a meeting with Pete to discuss the project. Mm -hmm. And um, I mentioned what you just said. And unfortunately, it sort of opened the floodgates because everyone else, other than Pete, mm -hmm. felt the same as me and um, felt they didn't quite get the film bit. So I immediately jumped in and said, well, the songs are fantastic. Why don't we just make an album? Mm -hmm. One of the things in going back and, and listening to a lot of the stuff you did was you you wanted to capture the performance, I I, I was, yes. and you could feel that. I mean, when I Glenn, when I put those records on, I feel the anticipation. I can feel the air in the fucking room. Yes, yes. yes. You know, well, that's the whole idea. Yeah. So, the, the, the the whole purpose of my excitement about recording was the challenge was always to capture what the sound of the band is mm. uh, nowadays and for some years many years that hasn't been the case for numerous reasons people got bored with that i suppose whatever but the the method of recording now is one instrument at a time and there isn't any interaction between musicians when they when they make records um and and to a certain degree that works pretty well it, it's it's not bad but it's nothing like capturing a performance of a group of people playing together uh, and from an engineering point of view, as I say, my, the challenge was always to capture the sound, which was their signature, mm -hmm. um, to capture that and make it come out of two speakers in your living room as effectively and as realistically as possible. The combination so, of those musicians and that energy, um, you, you did the first Zeppelin album. Yeah. The energy just came coming out of those guys. I mean, John Paul Jones even said when they met in, I think it was Gerard Street, that little that little studio when they first uh, rehearsed together, he said they knew as soon as they played train, train kept a roll and they blew the fucking hinges off the door. Yes. 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 Quite extraordinary. Interestingly, I'd known John Paul Jones for many years because he was a session bass player. Mm -hmm. He was the number one session bass player in the UK for years. An incredibly competent musician and a charming man altogether. Absolute delight. And I'd known Jimmy since I was a kid. Uh, we grew up in the same town and uh, I got him his first sessions and he became very quickly the number one session guitar player mm -hmm. in the UK. So anyway, we'd known each other since we were teenagers. And um, so when Jimmy rang me and said, look, I've put this band together with John Paul Jones, I had no idea what I was saying yes to. I I'd never heard anything. He never played me anything. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And he asked me if I wanted to do it and I said yes. Mm -hmm. And I walked in for the first session having no idea. I didn't know who John Bonham was or Robert Plant. And obviously my hair got parted very quickly. <laughs> I was ensued. It was pretty remarkable. I knew it was going to be good, but I had no idea that it was going to be like that. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. But, okay, and to your credit, when you said that you just captured stuff, you also have uh, taste and vision I put in the intro because you're listening to Led Zeppelin. The Stones are doing the rock and roll circus. You're trying to uh, uh, figure out who's going to be on the show with them. You played them uh, the Zeppelin album. 
Mick didn't get it. Then you played it for George Harrison, and he didn't get it. So the the older no. generation didn't get what the newer generation was doing, no, but you it did. No, it was it, and, and actually, in retrospect, I I kind of understand it. You know what? If I'd have if I'd have heard that record later and not known not known two of the people in it or whatever else. Mm-hmm. It may well have gone over my head as well. I, I've often thought that. You never really know, do you? I mean, mm. it's very well. You can be clever after the event. Um, it certainly blew me away when I, when I was presented with it. So I guess I would have been impressed by it. I couldn't believe that Mick didn't get it or George. It, 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 I thought we were all out the same egg. It just didn't, it didn't make any sense to me because to me it was obvious that they were going to be huge. I mean, mm. this is, we'd, I'd only literally just finished making the record. So... It hadn't been released, so that no one else had heard it, and so clearly they hadn't become successful. So uh, I'd be interesting to know what what Mick would think of it now after all these years. I don't know. Well, or, or maybe not. Actually, I don't. I don't really give a monkey what he thinks now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: you got you got my generation. You knew that was going to be hit, and you got the Kinks uh, all day and all of the night. Yeah, that was in the book. Yeah, that was, I didn't produce those. Shell Tommy produced those. I mm-hmm. just engineered them. But right. Yeah. 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 But you so okay. I got to go back to my generation because I, Billy De Blasio played me the forty-five of my generation. I heard that bass solo, and I was just like, "Look what this man can do!" You were sitting in that room, and then and then Daltrey is stuttering. Yes, quite extraordinary. I think that's it's the only record, only pop record, anyone top 10 record that I'm aware of that has a bass solo in it. Yeah. It, I, I'm not aware of any other. It was pretty strange. Uh, and when Dolce started stuttering, I, I, I thought, well, look, there's something wrong with the bass. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think there might be anyway. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was remarkable. Very clever. Really, really clever. Mm-hmm. Really clever. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. in Townsend's book, he said because um, uh, speed was what they they get all blocked up on speed, um, and that was the drug of choice, uh, the black beauties. Um, and uh, but he said the stutter came from Johnny Lee Hooker. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was in in Pete's book. So I don't. Well, know. Well, I'm sure it's true then. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it depends yeah. on Pete's mood because the stories keep changing. Well, yeah. The the. the- the, the great Pete Townsend story from from my perspective is he told me, and he's mentioned this, you know, we've talked about it on more than one occasion. His windmill with his arm, mm-hmm. when he, played, he claims, and I don't remember this at all, but he claims that I took him to a Stones gig. Yeah. And Keith did it. Yeah. Keith was warming up backstage. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it was backstage. I think it might have been on stage. Mm-hmm. We were both in the audience watching, and uh, uh, Pete saw Pete do that. Uh, saw Keith do that, and uh, and he ended up copying it. Yeah, I, I, which is mind-boggling to me because I've never seen <laughs> never seen Keith do that, or I don't remember ever seeing him do it. But I guess he did. So that he just did it the once, maybe. Yeah, who knows? Well, that's uh, and. Those those pictures though, but the images of of the Who just really struck me. Ethan's Russell's Ethan Russell's uh, photographs of the Who in rehearsal in '73. Townsend is fourteen feet up in the air holding a Les Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm yeah. a kid with my with my Les Paul copy going. How the hell do you do that? Well, what about how about running across the stage and then sliding on his knees? Yes, you know? yes. While still playing. Yes, yeah. while still playing. Yeah. And I have yeah. a shot on my computer screen of that. He's sliding on his knees, Daltrey spinning the mic cord, and you can see Entwistle standing in the corner of the frame, and you can see Keith Moon just pounding the drums. And I have that frame on my computer. You know why, Glenn? Because I'm a freak. That's why. <laughs> so I, I assume from all this that you're a musician. I play bar band guitar. I can play the beginning of every great song. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's, not, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. Then I got to play Little Wing twice. That's all I can do. <laughs> but are you still, I mean, do you play regularly? Do you play with other people? Do you? Not do as you... much as I'd like to as I got. When I was younger, I did. I had, uh, I actually had, uh, I spoke to Steve Vai um, uh, last week. And I told him, I said, you were the reason I picked up the guitar. And then you were the reason I put down the guitar. Who are we kidding? <laughs> right 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, God, he's just inc- extraordinary. But all the extraordinary musicians you worked with, and it's not fair to ask who's better and better or better because they're different. They're just exactly. You can't. So don't ask. No, I'm not. I'm not even going to ask. Now I got to <laughs> ask you about about a little band that I love too called the Beatles. Mm. I'm in. I, as far as I know, you're in the United States, and the phone rings, and it's Paul McCartney. No, I, he called me in London. I was in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called me in London. The uh, the call from in in the United States was much later to go in and cut. Um, oh, blimey, what was the song? He's so heavy. Is that what? Is that was that yeah. one of the Beatles song? Yeah, that's yeah. what uh, That was much later. Mm-hmm. That was months later. Mm-hmm. I was working with Stephen. Um, th- I got a call in England. Yeah, to go and work with him. Yeah. What about it? All right. Oh, oh, I got a list. So it, it he's wants to do. He wants to rehearse an album of new material, make it a documentary, a TV show, yeah, uh, and and do it live and record that. That was the idea, and it was called the Get Back yeah, Session. He wanted to do, he wanted to do a live concert. It's a very clever idea, and I don't. I'm not sure that anyone's ever done it. He wanted to do a live concert mm-hmm. uh, of all with all new material, mm-hmm. and. He wanted to rehearse it, obviously, beforehand. And he wanted to make a documentary film about the rehearsals and the concert itself. Mm-hmm. And the concert was to be televised. So that, that was his original idea. Okay. So, and you get the call. So you go to, uh, I think, would they begin at Twickenham Studios? Twickenham uh, Film Studios, yes. Mm-hmm. And you walk in, and have you ever worked with the Beatles before? No. No, I hadn't. John and Paul had come and sung on a Stones track that I did, mm-hmm. uh, which was a very quick and polite visit. After Mick and Keith had got busted, the Stones cut a song called We Love You, mm-hmm. which was awful. <laughs> and, 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 and John and Paul came in out of support, really, and sang back up on it. Uh-huh. So it was Hello, Goodbye. I didn't really know them at all. No. Mm-hmm. So when you get there, were you nervous? I mean, uh, you, you've worked no, I with- wasn't nervous. I, I, I was excited. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was pretty extraordinary call to get. I'd worked with a lot of people up until that point who were pretty successful. Uh, but they, was, they were still the biggest band in the world. And to get the call at all was flattering, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure until you never know until you get involved exactly what I was letting myself in for. Uh, but it was great. I, I mean, they were, every, they made me feel very welcome mm-hmm. immediately. And uh, after a, an hour and a half or two hours, it was just like working with anybody else. They were, they were regular guys. You know? right. they, they were regular musicians, and, and we just got on with the job at hand. Mm-hmm. Well, the temperament in the room, I mean, when you hear stuff of you know the, the arguing and everything, it, it, which was pretty much, I think, highlighted in the recordings. I, I'm very eager to see the new Peter Jackson movie because the clips I've seen so far, they're kind of, they're dancing. It's, it's pretty joyous from the clips that he's, he's presented. It, it, it's, it's complete not, I don't, listen, the media at the time and, and ever since, mm-hmm. it's far more interesting for them to talk about something negative than something positive. Sure. And, and my my whole memory and experience of working with them during that period of time, there was an awkward moment when George was uncomfortable and decided he was going to leave, and then he came back. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is no different than any other band I've ever worked with, uh, no different from any group of people working in an office or anything. They fall out. If you work with somebody for a long time, particularly in a creative situation, sure. you're going to fall out with them. You know, it's not... It's normal. It's mm-hmm. absolutely normal. And it, and it was very soon easily patched up. And the rest of the experience was great. I mean, and the reason why I chose to make my version of the album the way I did was to prove that. Because my version of the album is a fly on the wall with full starts and people taking the mickey out of each other. And one thing that he's showing, that, frankly, that they were having a good time, which they were. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the original idea, and if I remember the story uh, correctly, you made an acetate of like a song or something of actually that of them messing around, and you gave it I, to them. I, I I went to Olympic Studios on the way home one night and took 
the day's recordings mm -hmm. of several songs, and I cut together the idea, mm -hmm. which was full starts, and it was fly on the wall, you know. It, it was and general messing about, interspersed with the actual material, and I played it to them the following day and they didn't like it at all. They thought it was a load of rubbish. I, to be honest, I didn't think they'd go for it really, but right. it was an idea, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. But then cut to, you get another call from them to go back to the studio and th yeah, that's a story later. months yeah. later and there's Long a stack of tapes. Later. Yeah, and, and John and Paul asked me if I would consider doing what my original idea was. They changed their mind. Uh, I never actually... I never had the conversation as to why they changed their mind. I, you can read between the lines. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe they got bored with it. I've got, I've got no idea. But um, so I was sent away with the masters to do put together what was what was to become my version of the record. Yeah, mm -hmm. which of course never got released. Time went by. Abbey Road was recorded. The film was still being cut. So the album was put on the shelf for the moment, and by the time. Uh, Abbey Road had been released and had been quite rightly very successful. The band then broke up, and my version of the record stayed on the shelf mm -hmm. for 52 years, <laughs> which uh, is interesting. And John Lennon, having split up from the Be split from the Beatles, um, gave the Masters some period of time later to Phil Spector. Mm. thinking that was a good idea. I'm not sure that John was ever totally convinced about what I had done anyway. I mean, he, he certainly seemed all right about it when we met that day at Abbey Road. But anyway, he changed his mind and he gave it to Spectre. Yeah. And that was, that was the version of the record that, that was actually released. We did release a single. My version of Get Back got released immediately. And uh, then the rest of it sat on the shelf ever since. And now it's available again now the rooftop concert was was ringo took you up onto the roof yeah and i think you said well, well why, why are we going to tunisia you can't the food sucks let's just do it here i can't remember the conversation to be honest with you but mm -hmm. obviously he it, we were up on the top floor of the building and he just turned to me and said, have you ever seen the roof here i went no why would i've done that mm -hmm. he said well, it's an incredible view of the west end of london he took me up there, and I don't know whose idea it was. I can't remember if it was mine or his, but we went, we joined the others, having come down off the roof, and the idea was put to the assembled company, which was the band of Michael Lindsay Hogg and everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, I read somewhere the other day that Michael Lindsay Hogg came up with the idea, uh, which he may well have done. I mean, listen, I don't know. It, it, it was... The idea came at that moment in time from somebody, but I, I thought it was me, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It's a long time ago, and actually, who cares? <laughs> I care. You know, okay, fine. Right. Well, I care. Well, it, it, I think it was, a, it was brilliant. It was, it, the only problem with it was it was January, so it was bloody cold mm -hmm. and damp, and you know, it wasn't ideal. Uh, climate mm -hmm. to do what we wanted to do and i think probably i mean it would have gone on if the police hadn't stopped it but I, i'm not sure how effective it would have been because it was pretty unpleasant out there yeah but i think they uh michael lindsey hogg i think they knew the police station was down the block they had a camera set up in the hallway it was, it was 200 yards away literally 200 yards away so everybody knew that we were going to get done i mean they even had a camera in in the hallway of the mm -hmm. building to get the police coming through, and, you know, yeah, bit of a setup, so, yeah. But it's but it's history, Glenn. I mean, you you've had a front row seat to 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 a, a period of time that still not only captures my imagination, but I am still enchanted with. It, it's still you you were the architect of that. I mean, you 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 heard the you heard the Eagles harmonize for the first time and went, "That's it." Well, yeah, I, I'm not so sure that somebody else wouldn't have got that. It was pretty, it was pretty obvious to me, I suppose. You know, I don't, I don't know. If there's any any uh, applause to be had there. I mean, it, it, okay, I've, I've, man, I listen. I because I was born at the right moment, and I've I've been fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time on the odd occasion, 
And uh, one thing leads to another, as you very well know, as, mm-hmm. as an actor, I'm sure it's you get spotted by somebody and, and you get another job. And it's the same with me. Yeah, but it's also, you, you, you're downplaying a lot of this and it's starting to piss me off, Johns, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry, but that's genuinely how I feel. I, I, I mentioned in my book, I'm not sure that I've always felt like I've got away with it. Mm. And I can't take credit for for Take It Easy, or, although, I mean, I, I came up with a couple of ideas for that, but it doesn't matter. That would have been a hit if they'd have sung it backwards through a megaphone, you know. I mean, it, it, the, the, and there are classic examples of that with a lot of the people I've worked with. I'm sorry if it's pissing you off, but there you are. Okay, I understand. Now I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> the Glyn Johns drum sound. Oh, who'd they name that after? Well... That's uh, it was a quirk of fate. It wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't clever enough to to think. Oh, this is how I'm going to do it. It happened. A Led Zeppelin session. It was John Bonham, and um, possibly if it if it hadn't have been John Bonham, it was an accident. Well, it was an accident. It was it was a circumstance that you you could order the chaos to make something happen, and that's an instant. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Okay. At the time you guys were recording and how you were making records, that instinct was so important because you had to make decisions right then and there. There was no afterwards. You had, you know, four tracks is what you started on. And I think it's it's interesting you brought that up. I actually think that that process is almost all but gone now. Sure. And I and I think that's one of the major catastrophes of records that are made now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I started, it was mono. You cut four songs in three hours. They played the song. You had to memorize it. Mm-hmm. You may adjusted a couple of microphones, maybe whatever. You recorded it. It was mixed as they as it went down, and the client would leave the room with four songs at the end of three hours. Finished. Yeah. No decisions to be made. And and there's something to be said for that because some pretty fantastic records were made that way, and uh, I think the more options that you're given, the more choices that you leave till later, the more you disappear up your own rear end, and the excitement and the the instantaneous process just goes out the window. And I mean, it's interesting. The Eagles' first album I did in six weeks. The second album probably about the same. And the third album we started and didn't didn't go terribly well, and they went back to America with their tail between their legs a bit. Left me, went in with Bill Simzik, mm-hmm. remarkably fine guy, and they took a year to make the next record. Now it happened to be a fantastic record, but it's it just shows it's a bit of a bit of an odd yeah. leap. Cocaine doesn't really make you focus as much as you think, Glenn. <laughs> Is there anybody you would have liked to have worked with that you didn't? Yes. Uh, I'd love to work with Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a big admirer of Bruce Springsteen on, on several levels. I, I'm not overly fond of the rock and roll stuff. I love his acoustic stuff. I think he's, I think he's a remarkable talent altogether. And I would, I would love to have recorded an acoustic album with him. I'd also love to have made an acoustic record with Keith Richards, which was something he, he is, I'm sure, still a, f- a phenomenal acoustic guitar player. It's a great sound on an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that never came to pass. And I'd love to have done a studio album with Bob Dylan. I've, I've recorded him live. I did a live album with him years ago. Um, I, did, I did a couple of things with him, but I've never had him in a studio. And I, that would have been interesting. Now, didn't Dylan come to you to suss out if uh, McCartney and Mick Jagger would like to do an album with the three of them? Yeah, he wanted to do. He wanted to do an album. He wanted me to get the Beatles and the Stones mm-hmm. together with him and make an album. And I, I was introduced to him by Jan Winner mm-hmm. uh, at Kennedy Airport. We were. Neil and I were traveling on the plane together and Dylan was in the baggage hall when we got there, just on another mission of some sort. He was people watching, leaning up against a pillar. <laughs> Very strange. Anyway, he, he, he came, 
he came out to me. I was waiting outside the yard, and Dylan came out to me and he said that he he liked my work with the Stones and one thing. I was very sweet, and he said I understand that you've been working with the Beatles. And I said yes. And he said, well, I'd really love to do an album with all three. So I came back to England and I ran it by everybody and. I knew what the answer was going to be pretty much. Mm. George Harrison thought it was a great idea. Uh, Ringo would have turned up, of course. Sure. Uh, I can't remember what John said. Paul uh, Paul said absolutely no way. Mick said absolutely no way. Keith would have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it. You only needed one from each band to say no, and that would be that was the end of it. It would have been pretty strange having all of that lot to pick from. I mean, you've had to pick a rhythm section from individuals depending on the song um but it would have been a challenge sure anyway it didn't so there you go i uh i want to play a game with you. i'm just going to say you've worked with so many people and i have so many questions i'm just going to say your name just give me first couple of words that pop into your head okay uh yeah, sure. keith moon lunatic yeah <laughs> yeah completely unpredictable lunacy uh-huh yeah. Very talented, however. Mm-hmm. Any truth to the uh, any truth to the rumor that he would tune his uh, his, his drum kit so that the, the sticks would yeah, bounce absolutely. up? No, had no idea or thought about or care about the pitch of each drum necessarily. Mm-hmm. He just he tuned them so that they would be very biscuit tin tight. Yeah, so just, the stick would bounce off. Would bounce up. Yeah, yeah. Won't get fooled again. He played to the. Uh, I played in Pete's synthesizer track mm-hmm. and the band played as a band to the synthesizer. Now in those days, nobody ever played, clicks were never used. It mm-hmm. was unheard of. And I still would never use one now, but uh, it's the norm now. So uh, the art of a drummer playing with a click is, is, is something you acquire by doing it. You know, it's because normally a drummer, as you know, is, relied on for providing the time, not keeping time with something else. He never put a foot wrong on any take we did, Moon. And he's thrashing the living shit out of everything. <laughs> from, you count him off and you see him at the end, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the guy was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, they all were. Sure. Well, next next name is John Entwistle. John Entwistle. Uh, uh, never this there was one bass player like that and that was him mm. no one's ever come close to him that i'm aware of there may be others maybe a few jazz players on electric bass may come close but pretty extraordinary uh, extremely unusual fellow very uh mild-mannered mm-hmm. never went booze for anybody uh extraordinary sound and in a lot of cases his sound was perfect for what the band was doing, particularly because he didn't play the the normal role of a bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, when we did Who's Next, I got him to change his sound to a more conventional sound because the material in my, or some of the material, most of the material, required that. Mm-hmm. And he never said anything at the time, but he got really upset later. I found out he was not happy with that at all. Mm. And, uh, but it's it's funny he never said to me at the time because if he had I'd have shut up you know it's not my business tell him what to do mm. so that was all a bit odd but it, he incredible all round musician I mean he could play every brass instrument known to man and owned every brass instrument known to man right. so an extremely accomplished musician Good. and a very nice man Levon Helm sweetheart yeah absolute sweetheart. I love him to bits. Uh, brilliant to work with. Great storyteller. Camel cigarette. Yeah. All, all night. Just, just brilliant. Great drummer. I loved his voice. Just fabulous guy. And I miss him. I, I really do. Fabulous guy. Yeah. I got to hang out with him once. And the reason I wanted I, at the Ramble. You, yeah. Lucky man. In well, you know what I mean then. Yeah. yeah. He just told stories and smoked cigarettes. I, yeah. Glenn, yeah. I'm yeah. standing next to him, six feet next to him at the Ramble while he's playing the weight. He's playing oh, and singing and I'm fantastic. six feet from him. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Ray Davies. Oh. Mm. Uh, next. <laughs> 
right. Dave Davies. <laughs> Ooh, double quick next. Okay. Um, uh, don't like Dave, Dave Davies at all. Horrible little git. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Okay. And Ray's not much better. I mean, at least Ray's talented. Right. Uh, uh, you know, great songwriter. Great songwriter. Loved his voice. Mm. Brilliant. All right. But I don't think him as a bloke. Uh, John Lennon. Maybe the f- the quickest wit of any human being I've ever met. Uh, the, sh- well, the sharpest wit of any human being I've ever met. I mean, he could he could cut you in very thin slices from 100 paces without being questioned. <laughs> Extraordinary. I mean, we, he, he was absolutely fabulous to work with. He was yeah. lovely to me, made me feel welcome. We got on really well the whole time we worked together. It's interesting. He he, when when the band broke up, he went through a very strange period, mm-hmm. which I don't know. If, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was drugs or whatever. I have no idea. But he got pretty odd about everybody, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote a piece in one of the English papers that was interviewed. In, it was printed in one of the English papers, which slagged me off about Let It Be completely unnecessarily. It was, it wasn't based on any kind of fact or reality that I was aware of. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that was a bit disappointing. But we did meet up before he died, and all that was put to bed. And the last time I saw him was lovely. Ah, that's nice. Jimmy yeah. Page. Jimmy Page, unbelievable talent. From very early, a very, very early age. You know, 11, 12 years old. Um, difficult, to, difficult to get on with. I think mm. not not the easiest person to get on with. Um, phenomenal talent, and we'll leave it at that. I think that's that's that'll have to do. Really. Okay, Charlie Watts, yeah. one of the nicest people I ever met. Never changed from the day I met him at the very, very, very beginning of joining the band till the day he died. Just never altered. Never. Uncom- the most uncomplicated man, sweetheart, genuine, lovely man, okay. brilliant drummer, not technically genius or anything like that. His time was phenomenal. I love the fact that he started with four drums and he ended with four drums. Yeah. <laughs> most people who make that much money and, and go on, to, you know, they go play stadiums, but they end up with a riser and huge... Every drum named human race. Yeah. And Charlie, no, no, just, just the same old, same old. <laughs> uh, Glenn Fry. Uh, very talented. I loved his voice, fantastic mm-hmm. voice. Another one that I, another individual I didn't get on with. He didn't like me and I didn't like him. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's okay. We, we, we made it through and in the end he didn't like me enough. To, to persuade the rest of the band to get rid of me, which is wasn't a bad move. I mean, they did brilliantly after they stopped working with me and worked well for them. Uh, and that way he had his completely his own way. I, I didn't really like the fact that he he assumed the leadership of the band in the manner that he did at the beginning. And I, I felt every member of that band was equally important. And um, so whenever he stuck his nose out in front, I'd, push it back in it yeah. and understandably he didn't like that very much so Eric Clapton oh bloody hell where do you start mm. quite remarkable musician I've said this many times and I'll say it again Eric's whole thing his emotive response to what he's playing is is entirely Oh my god, I'm not even saying this right. When Eric plays, it goes straight from his heart to his fingers. It doesn't go via his brain. It's, it's, it's everything he does musically is an emotive response in the manner in which you're hearing it, or in the manner in which it's coming across. And I he's the only musician I think I've ever come across that that exists almost entirely. I mean, he very, I mean, he does, he does practice a lot. Don't mm. misunderstand me, but, and I'm sure he works things out. He's better or whatever, but invariably 
in my experience of him, he just picks the guitar up and responds to whatever's going on around him. Yeah. It's just remarkable. Remarkable. Yeah. I, I love his voice now. It didn't it used to be all because he had a broken nose. But um, I think he's written some great songs. I, I have a massive admiration for him, uh, and we're still very good pals. That's great. I met him once. I met him. He asked me directions in the Beverly Center. Glenn, I'm, I'm sitting there. This guy comes and goes, hey, mate, do you know where the Warner Brothers store are? And I turned around. It's Eric Clapton. And I went, hey, you him? I pointed, and he walked away. I'm standing there. He just walks and goes, thanks. Walks away. As he's walking away, Glenn, I said, thanks for Layla. I mean, what, what, what are you going to say? Oh, funny. Yeah. funny. Ah, just, I could talk to you all day. I cannot thank you enough. You've you've made me very happy, and your work has not only brought me inspiration, but it, it, to this day is still my constant companion. Well, bless your heart. It's, that's always fabulous to hear. I, as a producer, you, you, you one never uh, meets anybody like the artist does, like you running into Eric in the Beverly Center. So you never... When I promoted my book, I, I, I toured around America to do the normal thing, book mm-hmm. signings and nothing. And the number of people that came out to me said pretty much what you just said. I, I couldn't, I thought, you know, they told you couldn't but, but you realize that the, your body of work has meant something to a few people. And that is pretty remarkable, really. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very touching to hear. Anyway, I, I, I have to say it's been a complete pleasure to meet you. And uh, with any luck, next time I'm in L.A., if you're about, and I'm a, I'll, I'll buy you dinner. Oh, that'd be great. Are you kidding? I'll come to Surrey just for the invitation. Would you ever come to England? I did. I England? actually, I, I did stand up with Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman. Yeah, he was playing. Uh, he was hosting live at Jonglers, and I was one of the acts on it. So we, I sat wow. down. And I, I talked his ear off, Glenn, and he was telling me stories. He's like, do you know why there's no more magic mushrooms? John Anderson <laughs> took them all. I mean, he just. He's a nice man. He's a nice he's, man. We emailed back and forth. He had a house in the Canary Islands, and, and he was telling me, and I was just, I've been emailing him uh, for a while. And he, I would ask him about Bowie, um, and because he, 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 he was, originally they wanted him to be one of the spiders from Mars, the keyboard player. Um, but then yes, gave him a bag of money and he went, he went that way. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough, my friend. Best to you oh, and the my family. Pleasure. My pleasure entirely. And we will, I will look you up. Or oh, if you come this way, give me a shout. I certainly will. Thank you so right. much. The ADD interview was brought to you by cruiseintowellness.com. Cruiseintowellness.com for all your CBD needs. Now, let's say you're in the control room, you're producing the kinks, and you realize something about the guitar player. Don't like Dave, Dave Davis at all. Horrible little git. This could cause you a little anxiety. So, why don't you do what I do? Take one of the gummies they have at cruiseintowellness.com. They also have tinctures, other edibles, pain creams, bath products. You know they got pet products. And you know you get 20% off with the coupon code ADAM. 20% off with anything they have at cruiseintowellness.com. Go! Feel better. My name is Kim Jones, and that is 30 minutes that I'll never get back. That was so much fun for me. And Adam? Yes. I would like to quote Glenn. I thought you were going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do to the man? I, I didn't know he was going to be there. He popped on the screen and I went, holy shit, it's you. And he was like, you know, what is wrong with this man? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, listen, man, that was really cool. It was like you were getting a personalized tour through rock history. Yeah. And I, I listen, I love that stuff. So that was that was really cool. I, I, but but I do wonder if he's taken out a restraining order against you. Yeah. Despite <laughs> that wonderful invite at the very end, which I thought you were gonna. I th- that's when I thought your head was gonna explode. You're like, what? I'll fly over to England right now, Glenn. Come on, let's do yeah. it. Let's go have a beer. Yeah. I just want to go over to hear more about the Little River Band. That's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but what a cool guy! Yeah. And what amazing stuff he's done. And can I just say, mm. for a guy that's as accomplished as he is and as many things that he was involved in, like 
critical moments in rock history. And he's an integral part of a lot of that. He just downplayed. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I was just there. You know, I was yeah. just, I was just doing, what I was doing it. Like, wasn't, you know, and and even you were like trying to pump him up. He's like, no, there was nothing there at the point where you were like, all right, now you're pissing me off. John. Yeah, I'll be right? honest with you. It annoyed the shit out of me. I was like, I was angry at Glenn Johns for not taking the rightful place of Glenn Johns accomplishment. And it made me want to smack Glenn Johns there. <laughs> That's what it made. Me. I'm like, you be my hero, you son of a bitch. Well, I liked his honesty. I did too. I, I mean, he was, great. he was like, uh, oh, he was a fantastic musician, but what a twit. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> like the Davies brother. Mm-mm. That no, was great. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Dedicated follower of fashion and an asshole. I love it. <laughs> I, I know. But, you know, but, you know, the, the presence of mind when he's talking to him and I mentioned Glenn Fry at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk to him about that and he's like. Well, I didn't like how he was taking control of the band and he didn't like that I was pushing him back. And, right. you know, so they got rid of me and was probably the best move for them. Right. Like, I love that he like he didn't take it personally. Like, I would have been the Sicilian there. I'd be like, what? You don't like me, Glenn? All right. Now we're going to have a problem with the two of us. But he didn't. He was just like, yeah, better, good good for you guys. And God bless and, and good luck. Yeah. Hey, the vocals are too wet. I'll invite you to go fuck yourself. How's that? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was really cool to hear him. To hear him just sort of tell those tales. I I, I could have sat and listened to you guys for hours. I, I mean, how would you like to be, you know, his phone? Like, yeah. Ring. All the- oh, the Beatles. Ring. Yeah. The Rolling Stones. Ring. You know, just gets to work with all these great people. Well, think about that because the phone didn't have like the ID on it. So you're not going to look down at your phone and see McCartney. You know, you're just going to pick it up and you're going to hello, mate. Because if that was me, I would say, Phil, stop messing around. All right, I'm busy. <laughs> that's the worst Paul McCartney impression I've ever heard. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's what. And, but but I, I was when I when I was pushing him to tell him about his instinct, because when they made records, though, though, in that time and reading about it, you had to make decisions right there. You yes. know, that was that was such an important part of capturing the performance rather than building a, a song does that make sense yeah. yeah i mean there's nothing like something live yeah there's something to playing it live and capturing it yeah yeah it's, i agree it, and the instincts to make those choices at that moment is the invaluable thing like like uh, what he did yeah honey. there's so many times i've been to different concerts whatever music it is and i'm thinking i hope someone's recording this because it's just you can see the music just going up into the air mm-hmm. and it's I mean, it's moving your soul. It's touching you. And you're like, whoa, this, you know, this moment. I hope someone captures it. Yeah. But, you know. Who was the guy? You knew him. And we went to we went to Dizzy's joint in New York. The piano player you wanted me to see. The one and only Kenny Barron. There you go. Oh, my gosh. He, his Kenny Barron, Mark, from the Little River Band. <laughs> Highly doubtful. <laughs> Highly doubtful. Yeah, that's. That's where I know I'm from. I don't know his solo work. I know the LRB <laughs> stuff. Yeah. No, the, Kenny is a genius. Mm-hmm. And the way he tickles those ivories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's magic. Yeah. Yeah, that was the so You don't really like jazz music, but you like that, didn't you? I like some jazz music. I don't I don't I don't like the the the, the fusion, you know, that kind of uh. Well, you know, someone like Joe Zylenol, mm-hmm. way different. Yeah. Joe Zylenol is like out of this world. I Weather like- Report. I like oldest. I don't like the fusion stuff. I like like Coltrane. Some of my favorite things. He hits that note in the solo that's just up in the sky. I'm like, oh. I think it just depends on the 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 style of it because, mm-hmm. like you said, the Who. After you told me about it, right? That's um, electric, and I yeah. think it was the beginning of the electric for rock and roll, mm-hmm. wasn't it? No, it was it was around for a while, but it was it was the best expression of it. It was it was the introduction. It was the introduction of the synthesizer at that time because nobody knew how to use yes. it, and he yeah. he used it as a rhythm track, not just like an accent. He used a, so that was just amazing. So there you go. Yeah. So, but but it, that spoke to me. Yeah, it's their Correctly. expression. Whoever, whoever well, who it's used... not correctly. It's just to your taste. No, it's my my tastes are correct, and you'll all fall in line, <laughs> and oh things goodness. will be a lot better off. Is that what you put in my coffee? That's it. Mm. You love only me. You love only me. <laughs> I was wondering. Drink the potion. Look into my eyes. Say the words. You love only me. <laughs> but I love that. You know, you do. The, you talk about you know a live performance. I mean, there's an energy there, and you know this from working on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's. You know, there's things that you find in a moment that you might not have otherwise found 
and it's in that that performance yeah. moment. You're in the and state of becoming in front of other right. people, and that's it's courageous and so satisfying. It's like what he said about Clapton. Clapton's playing comes from his heart through his fingers and bypasses his brain. I'm like, that is so beautifully put. Thank you for bringing that up. Alex, I don't know what you thought of that. That was one of the, as what Adam just said, one of the most beautifully expressed like visions of creativity and explaining how somebody as brilliant as Eric Clapton actually operates. Mm -hmm. and it's like, there's no thought process. He's just reacting to the emotion of the room and translating it from his ears, you know, through his, through his fingertips. And, and I just thought that was such a beautiful expression. Yeah. And when you get, okay, someone like Eric Clapton mm -hmm. and in with another musician, who's that same yeah. high caliber, and then they're inspired by them and it's going back and forth that is wow yeah, the energy exchange one of my favorite clapton albums is uh riding with the king it was him and bb king it was great uh yeah mark well there's that and when he was jamming with Dwayne allman oh said, yeah they, they said that clapton never felt that way about another musician that he played with it was like they were communicating on a completely silent almost psychic level mm. and just knew exactly where each other were going and created if you've ever listened to these jam sessions it's just it's just unreal. So, yeah. yeah, he's just one of those. He's just one of those special people. And and I just thought I thought Glenn uh, really just sort of nailed exactly his creative process perfectly. Yeah. And he had a front row seat for that and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, it was just amazing. How great was uh, how great was it that he made up with John Lennon uh, oh, before his death? It was so lovely. First of all. I think he was spot on about what John Lennon was like, you know, would just dissect you from a hundred yards away yeah. with his wit. Like I would love to meet John Lennon, but I'd be terrified to open my mouth for fear that he would just tear me to shreds. Mm -hmm. And I think John could be really vicious. And I think it sounded like he was vicious and whatever that piece was, we kind of cut Glenn apart. And for them to have, have buried the hatchet before John's death, uh, listen, th to me, that's the most important thing. You never want that hanging over, especially somebody like John Lennon, who's such, you know, an important figure in music history and in the world to find that moment of like, you know, hey, we're all good. Yeah. And have that. I think that was hugely important. George Martin mentioned that John wrote something about him, too, and they had to make up. He's like, what was that all about? <laughs> He's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me and Phil argue it. Stop it. Why do you got to say that? Because, you know. <laughs> It's just fun. Well, he knows I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just, again, he was right in the thick of it. I mean, he was part of the Let It Be tapes. Yeah. You know, and they're like, he's, and he's like sitting there. He's like, this actually blew me away. He's like, what was the name of the song I worked on? Uh, they had no clue. She's so, she's, she's so heavy. Yeah. That's the one. I'm like, yeah, you, she's so heavy. That's a great song. It's a Beatles song. What yeah. are you talking about? You know, he was there for that. He worked on it. I like when I'm pushing him. This is what kind of geek I am. I'm pushing him. So Ringo took you up to the roof, right? Whose idea was he goes, I don't. It was so long ago, you little <laughs> shit. He said, who in the hell cares? Yeah, he goes, and who cares? <laughs> I go, I care. <laughs> yeah. He lived the life. So to him, it's sort of like, yeah. Yeah. For, for me, it's history. It's important for him. It was Thursday. Yeah. Honey. You realize he's going to describe you as, you know, he just it explodes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> He's like no. Keith Moon without the talent. <laughs> no, you know what was the coolest thing, Alex? What? When he said, well, it sounds like I'm talking to a musician. And then he was talking to you on that level as a musician. And yeah. listen, you can poo-poo your skills all you want. I've heard you play. You know, you're really good. I mean, maybe not like, hey, I'm going to go tour stadiums. Right. But you're good. You're a talented musician. And just to hear him talk to you on that level, that was a huge compliment. It was funny you brought up that moment because when he said that, I was smiling. But I... I shit myself. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I did. Sure. It's yeah. Glenn John. I play. I suck. You know, I, I know what good playing is and I, I don't have it. So it's cool to you. Even when you're just screwing around, I'm like, damn it. I got to practice. I got to get better. Anytime I can hear Adam play Jimi Hendrix over and over again. It's All right. fantastic. All right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Adam. Yeah, I love you, too. <laughs> you do play it well, but mm -hmm. over and over again. Thank you so much. <laughs> And the wind cries pain in the ass. I think that was the original <laughs> title of that song. <laughs> I love the fact that he let me play the game. I'm going to say a name. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, because I was sitting on, how am I going to ask all these questions? And one of the, Levon, because I got to hang out with Levon, so I, I'm, I'm so pleased that he got the same experience I did. Charlie Watts was great because there's a story about Charlie where he was a gentleman. He's like, he was also an artist. So the story I heard is he was upstairs um, painting. He was just painting in his hotel suite. 
Mick is drunk downstairs in a bar screaming, Where's my drummer? Where's my drummer? Charlie put down his art supplies, got up, put on his suit, went down into the bar where, where Mick is screaming, took Mick, threw him up against the wall, put his finger in his face. He goes, I'm not your drummer. You're my singer. <laughs> went back upstairs and continued his artwork. That is brilliant. I love that. That that's yeah. so cool. I like stuff like that. I love that. I am kicking myself for one thing, because you know what I forgot to ask him about, honey? Mm-mm. One of my favorite songs of all time. But... Have you heard about the lonesome loser? Eaten by the queen of hearts every time. Have you heard about the lonesome loser? He's a loser, but he just keeps on trying. All right, we got to stop. I'm getting sick. Oh, my God, Adam. I know. It's a terrible song, but it makes it makes Mark happy. Oh. I don't know why. Honey, if you want to get a hold of us, where do they go? Oh, the Adam Ferrara at Gmail. I cannot thank Glenn Johns enough. Sorry uh, a, for that, Glenn. A, a, a gentleman and made me very happy. Uh, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Tell someone you love about it. That helps us spread the word. And if you have time, please leave us a review. That helps us with our friends. Mr. Algorithm. And remember, life is hard. Take it easy on yourself. The pod has ended. Go in peace. <laughs> that is ended. So go in oh. peace. <laughs> Phil gets fooled again.